thinking about Acts and thinking about the series that we have been in and looking at how the gospel went forth to a world that was very broken, to a world that um, certainly there was tremendous conflict and the Romans ruled the entire known world and the gospel went forth. And certainly if we're looking at Acts and the emphasis in Acts, it has to be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It also has to be how they ministered and they preached and everything they did was in the name of Jesus and talked about the resurrection of Jesus. There is one place in John 3 that John, the third epistle of John at the very end of the New Testament where he talks about that what they do is for the sake of the name or the sake of Hashem. And so realizing the significance of that, I thought it was really important that we kind of look at some verses in Acts and then we're going to look at some verses in John uh, because we live in a society that really, at least in my opinion, y'all may disagree, but in my opinion, it, it just seems like everything of God is minimized. And um, if you hear his name, it's normally in cussing, right? If we want to be honest, when, when I was young, let's say just right before the dinosaur age, um, you never heard OMG or oh my God, or you just didn't hear it. Um, and then some years later, there was one TV show where a woman in the TV show started saying that. And then it just was like wildfire. And everybody said it, and it was like, you know, not a big deal. And yet, for Jews in the day, in, in Old Testament um, writings and in names and, and in others, they don't even say the name because they hold it in such honor. And when they write it, they write G and then a slash or a dash or whatever and then D because they don't want to dishonor his name. We don't live in such a society. And so I think it's important to just look for a minute at his name and what happened in Acts. And then I want to go back through uh, what Jesus said he was. Because I think that gives perspective in all of this. Um, and hopefully will be meaningful. That We know the stories in Acts and how they didn't want the, the apostles, the disciples, they didn't want them talking about in the name of Jesus. Which was kind of, oh, the whole point, right? And we know that they spent a great deal of time in prayer. They spent a great deal of time preparing before the, the time of Pentecost came, when the Holy Spirit came, then, then a tremendous amount of ministry went on. And in Acts, the Sadducees especially, they did not believe in the resurrection, so they were really ticked. They were talking about the resurrection. I think the Pharisees and all the people involved just thought, okay, this Jesus guy, we put him on the cross, he's dead, it's over. And little did they know, it had just begun, right? And the whole world was changed. The entire world was changed. And whenever they got in trouble, they would tell them, do not speak in this name. And often the disciples would say, we can't help it. It's the whole point that we're going to speak in his name. One of the things that got Jesus in trouble was talking about the different times where he said, I am. And it goes back to God, the name of God, in Exodus 3, when Moses is plea bargaining with God to get out of something, like going back to Egypt. So it's the story of the burning bush. And in Exodus 3, beginning with verse, let's start with verse 11, I'll just read. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
Now, never mind that he had grown up in the house of Pharaoh. Never mind that he had been educated, you know, in some of the, uh, the best schools in Egypt. And Moses is going, how could I possibly know what to do? And God is going, uh, dude, really? And then God said, I will be with you. I mean, is there any more? I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, it's not like I'm guessing in this deal God didn't have a hello, my name is, you know, God or whatever. Um, but Moses is just trying to get out of it. Can you feel him backpedaling? You know, he is not wanting to do this. In fact, there's a point later he says, oh, God, just send somebody else. Um, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent you to me, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So an incredibly famous passage of God saying, I am. And the significance of that is that everything for the Egyptians was something dead. Every God they worshiped was something that was dead. And, and God is saying, I am, or I will be, meaning now and in the future. It's not what happened. And, and basically all of the false gods of that day were, I don't know, people is the right word, but were deities that were dead. And when they worshiped, they burned candles or they, you know, sacrificed children or, I mean, all the different things they did trying to appease the false gods. And it was about death and Jesus said I came that they might have life and have it abundantly so the whole point of God saying I am is huge it is huge for us to understand it's not about what was although he was there in the beginning but he's saying to the Israelites I am come with me I am I will be with you I am so let's look at some of the passages of Jesus you notice that I avoided talking about cats. Cats were a god of Egypt, and they sometimes would mummify them so they could be with the mummies so that in the afterlife their cats would be present. You know, part of you wants to kind of be there when it didn't happen. I'm sorry, you know. But, I mean, it's kind of like, of all the things you would choose, you know, anyway. All right, let's move along. I did have a cat at one time. Name was Shondai. Y'all can figure that out. Okay, so... Here is the, here's the uh, story. It's John 6. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He has given them lunch or dinner or whatever. He's fed the 5,000. No small thing. If you think sometimes you get stuck with the ticket at dinner, you know, Jesus, you know, fed the 5,000. And that's 5,000 men. We don't know women and children. So just a few folks. I don't know how big your dining room table is, but, you know, a lot of people. So he just fed the 5,000, and he sends the disciples across on the water, and a storm comes up. And they are scared. And these were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And yet it was a really serious storm. They're going across the lake. And Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And they're scared. And he says, don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. Another translation says that he makes a reference to I am. I'm here. Which again is a reference to God. 
And so that happens, they get to the other shore, and the people that were now looking for breakfast as opposed to dinner find them. And so they start talking to him about, well, Moses fed us manna in the wilderness. Are you going to feed us again, basically? I mean, I'm kind of cutting it down for you, but that was the thing. And so they were looking for food. They were looking for, you know, their daily bread, so to speak. And Jesus said, it wasn't Moses that gave you manna. It was God who gave you manna in the wilderness every day. In other words, dudes, figure out your theology. Okay, then verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And it goes on to talk, talk about different, quite a bit more, talking about manna and talking about all of that. <clears throat> this bread is the bread that is living, or the bread that gives life. And while we can look at things that physically sustain us, if we're not taking care of what spiritually sustains us, there's a problem. The Jewish blessing over every meal is, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We talked about how Bethlehem, the house of bread, where Jesus was born, and when Jesus was resurrected, it was the fulfillment of bringing forth bread from the earth. The next I am, so the first is, I am the bread of life. The next is, I am the light of the world. And it is from John, the eighth chapter, verse 12. And this is the time of tabernacles, and tabernacles is like a huge party in Jerusalem. And it's like every Jewish man was required to try to go, well, really required to go to three festivals, and that was tabernacles, and it was Passover, and it was Pentecost. And so at tabernacles, they're remembering the time that they were in the wilderness, and how the, the fire by night led them, and the cloud by day, and how God tabernacled with them, how he was with them. And so it's, this is the time that it's being celebrated. And in Jerusalem, the last day of the feast was a big deal, B bigger than any, you know, 4th of July fireworks or whatever legal or illegal things you do with all of that. You know, it was bigger than all of that. They had a menorah that is, was 75 feet tall. Now think about that. And they would light it at the end of the feast. And it was a big party. Jesus says, in this setting, Jesus says that he spoke again to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 1, 5, I'm sorry, 1, 5 says God in light, and in him is no darkness at all. And in the book of Isaiah, one of the proclamations of Jesus being born was talking about those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Oh my goodness, I don't know what your life was like before Jesus. I don't know what the darkness was like for you. But when you're in a dark place and then it's like the light is turned on, how significant is the light? John 10, 7, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. There are some in our culture that would say, there are many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. Then in verses, this is John 10, verses 11 through 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. And this is repeated several times. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. 
the wolf attacks this flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He goes on to talk about other things. Scripture was clear in the New Testament and in the Old Testament about the importance of a good shepherd. And Ezekiel is very clear about false shepherds and what will happen to them. Being a shepherd was a big deal as far as spiritual terms. God said that he was the shepherd of Israel. The next passage is very famous, really pretty amazing. It's when Lazarus has died and Martha and Mary are grieving and Jesus tarried and then came to see them. Verse 21 of chapter 11 of John, Gospel of John. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, now this was a woman, right? Martha, woman. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And this is an amazing declaration by a woman who obviously had studied. And we often talk about Peter's declaration of saying, yes, you are the Messiah, which is awesome and wonderful and all of that. But here's Martha, who we often refer to as the one who was doing all the serving, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha was saying, make my sister help me, and all of that. Here's Martha, who says, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. An amazing declaration. And radical that Jesus was talking to a woman. They were his friends. But Jesus kind of upset the whole thing of where women were in society, and children, for that matter. The next passage is 416, I'm sorry, 14.6, where Jesus talks about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are those that will tell you uh, there are many ways. I've sat in classes where people have said, may we not be so arrogant as to feel like we Christians or that Christians have the only way. Well, I don't really want to be arrogant, but scripture is very clear. And that's not for us to walk in any sense of pride, but just that people need him. And, and if they are worshiping another God, uh, certainly people are allowed to do that. I mean, they can do that. But they've, in my opinion, they have heard the wrong story. And how do we tell them? How do we tell them? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is a path. There is a way. I want to read to you from a commentary. I have an old state fair ticket marking the way. This is a guy who's a Messianic Jew, uh, and he wrote the Jewish New Testament commentary, and it's really good for understanding some of the Jewish history and culture that goes on with so many of the things. And so I want to read you very briefly. It won't go on forever, I promise. But he says, the author is Daniel Stern. He says, Messianic Jews and Gentile Christians acknowledge not only freedom of religion, 
guaranteed to, by the constitutions of nations, but also the right and capacity each individual has to seek the truth as best he can. Other religions have the right within the framework of law to communicate their views, to seek, gain, and hold adherence, and to minister to them. This is tolerance. But tolerance does not and cannot mean agreeing that other religions are true. The positive message of this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is available to everyone. Yeshua is the way by which everyone comes to the Father. His work and his very person both show us and give us what we need to be in a right personal relationship with God. More than that, he is not merely a way, a path, but the goal itself, truth and eternal life. And all this is conditioned only on our holding to our trust in him so that we may keep God's commands. That when we repent of our sin, we just don't turn from our sin, but we turn to God. And we ask for the forgiveness of our sin, and it's a prayer, one of the most powerful things we can do. John 15 goes on with the I am verses of I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Then again in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Israel is God's vineyard, and there's repetition in these passages that shows the importance of it. When he says, remain in me, that's really translated like dwelling place. Do we really dwell with him? Do we really take the time, like the children of Israel, when they were coming through the wilderness and when they celebrated tabernacles, you know, that we would dwell with him? Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Do I really walk that close as to be in someone's shadow? Do you remember when your kids were little and they figured out their shadow? You know? Or do you remember when they walked so closely to you that they were a part of your shadow? Oh, that we would be in his shadow. Years ago, I was on a mission trip to Beijing, China, and we were uh, stopping in China for about three days, excuse me, for about three days, and then we were going on to Mongolia to work with an orphanage there. Um, Mongolia, we were able to meet the man that they believe became the first Christian um, as a result of some Native Americans who came to Mongolia who were believers and uh, led him to the Lord. His name was Grandpa, appropriately, and he was a part of a YWAM group. I heard um, uh, Ruth Ann Garlock, John Garlock's wife, say that she thinks that when we eventually get to the moon to live there, YWAM will already be there. You know, with missionaries, they've already prayed over it, prayed over the land, all of that. So we were in Beijing, and we were told at that point that you had to be very careful that you could not talk to anyone. Now, this is what we were told, that you could not talk to anyone under the age of 18 about Jesus, that that was one of the rules in China, and that you could, you know, get in trouble, or the nationals with you could get in trouble if you did that. So I bought a picture in Beijing that hangs in my office, and I think it's the reason we do what we do. At one of the gatherings down here for prayer was the kids going to camp and the counselors going to camp, and they start tomorrow. This little girl, the red scarf around her neck is indicated, and you see this everywhere in China, the little red scarf means that she has already been taught atheist doctrine. 
and that she, uh, even though I'm guessing she's about five, and I love the picture of what I presume to be the grandfather. I mean, I know these aren't real people, you know, but they represent. And so, and he's like a basket weaver, and she's there, and she has a report, and I'm guessing it's good, or, you know, if I had a bad report from school, I don't think I'd run immediately to tell somebody. So I'm guessing she did well in school. You know, and she's kind of the hope of the future. But that little girl at the age of, let's say, five, has already been told there's no God. Okay, so I have a question for you. Y'all can just leave it up for a minute. I have a question for you. Why is it illegal? Why do you get in trouble if you talk to someone under the age of 18 about Jesus if there is no God? I mean, why do they have to have that rule? Do we know? You know, anyone? Anyone? Okay, so, and that the fact that that child, number one, it's a girl, and in China, at least some years ago, with the one-child policy, often girls did not live at birth because parents wanted a boy. And so the fact that it's a little girl and that, I mean, you can look it up on Google that, that children all over China wear the red scarf. And the red scarf is to remind them of the blood of the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs of the cultural revolution when Mao came into power. And for believers, we remember the blood that was shed on the cross. And we remember the power of the name. And we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to go places and to be able to pray for millions of children like this in China and other places that they would come to know the Lord. Not in a sense of arrogance, not in a sense of we have it all figured out as Americans, but as do you know the name? Do you know the one that died for you and lives, was resurrected from the dead? To me, that picture was just very stunning. And it's why we do VBS. And some of you may still be tired from VBS, and I get it, you know. And it's why we do camp. And it's why kids go on mission trips. We wanted our children to have a heart for the world. And as much as, as we forked over money for them to go to CCA, we wanted them to have a heart for all the peoples of the world. So at a young age, we took them. And my kids were on this trip, and they saw children in Mongolia that had no health care. None, none, just wasn't there. And they saw the children of Beijing. Oh, that we would pray. Mission trips are not just always go help in an orphanage, which is awesome, that's needed. But sometimes it's just going and praying, just going and praying. Often mission trips, we would go and visit missionaries and, you know, you get on a plane and you get there and you look them in the eye and you say, how are you doing? Because who's the pastor to the missionary? And they need that. Or going and praying over cities where the gospel is just struggling and praying that God would move. There's a story, not a true story, about women that were on an intercessor trip and they were in Paris, France, as opposed to Paris, Texas, which I'm sure could use our prayer too. But anyway, Paris, France, 
And this was before Larry and Katie went to Paris. And I was going to grab you before Sundays anyway. So this was long before that because I think y'all were able to attend sort of an evangelical church there at that time. But this was before that. And as best they knew, you know, there was not Google, there was not Internet that tells you how long ago it was. But as best they knew, there was no evangelical work in Paris, France. And so they would get in cabs and roll the windows down. I always thought about what the cab drivers thought, but you know, it was Paris, come on. They had probably heard and seen everything. And these women would pray enthusiastically, y'all with me, over Paris. They just drove around. Now, having been in Paris traffic, that alone is miraculous, you know, that they lived to tell the tale. And I understand Larry drove his own car in Paris, which is amazing. I mean, he's a rock star because Paris traffic was just insane. To me, it only really compared to the Middle East, where if you don't know Jesus, you really need to because there's a chance you may not make it out of the cab. Anyway, they prayed over the city. They would walk up and down streets and pray that people would come to know the Lord. And certainly this isn't the only type of evangelism, but in places where it is hard to share the gospel, missionaries would go and pray. And then amazingly, churches would start popping up. People would start saying, yeah, I was walking down the street and talked to somebody and they were a Christian and, and I became a Christian. The gospel can go forth in many different ways. Carol Thompson was a beloved professor at Christ for the Nations. He grew up uh, Baptist, not a dis, grew up Baptist, which is awesome, knew the Lord, all that stuff, went off as a missionary to, I think, Brazil <clears throat> and encountered his first real live witch and decided he needed a little bit more power than what the Baptist theology kind of fostered. Um, he was a teacher at Christ for the Nations for years. We had him come and speak at this church at the old campus a number of times. Uh, amazing man. He felt called to go to Australia years ago, years ago, years ago. Almost the dinosaur age, right? And it was a horrible year. He took his wife. They went and they prayed. They had a house. They had a little bit of land. They prayed. He said there would be windstorms on his land that there wasn't anywhere else. His neighbors were going, what wind? And he was like, it nearly blew the house down. You know, I mean, and he came back broken. It was so hard. And then not too long after that, you start hearing about Hillsong. And he had paid the price in prayer, almost to the point of brokenness, that you then hear <clears throat> Hillsongs all over the world, right? I mean, a lot of times we pray and we don't see what happens and we don't get it. And God is moving because he's I am. He's not whatever. He's I am. I will be. So as we want to be a part of reaching every neighborhood with the good news of the gospel, I encourage you to pray over your neighborhoods. Pray over the people on your street. Um, when the kids were little, we would, we would walk in the afternoon because, you know, they had more energy than I did. And yes, it was an absolute way of hoping it would expend some energy. And I had Robert in the stroller because he was just a wild man and, you know, he would get away from me. And so he was in the stroller. He was like 18 months. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't 14. You know, he was 18 months. <coughs> and um, we would, and the Millers left four houses down from us. And as we would round the corner, um, I would often pray, you know, pushing the stroller, I would pray, God bless the Millers. 
And then the day came that Lauren started saying, God bless the Millers. You know, it, it's like with our kids, um, or the Lord may give you an area you're supposed to pray for, or a country you're supposed to pray for. It needs to be directed by God. You know, I wouldn't just pick North Korea, although that's a good place to pray for right now. But, you know, it needs to be directed by God. But praying over the people that live around us, you have no clue what goes on in their homes. We have no clue, right? But I think we can all say that we all need Jesus. We all need the name. In Revelation, a very famous passage of Scripture that is recorded that Jesus said, chapter 21, a very famous verse and I'm going to read a little bit more t- than I had planned but John is speaking in the vision and he said then I saw a new heaven and a new earth the morning my father died um, years ago a pastor came to the emergency room at Methodist Hospital and he prayed these words and it gave me a different perspective even in the suddenness and then the trauma of my father's death you know there is a new heaven and a new earth, and we can bank on it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then it says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, talking about Jesus, it is done. Another scripture, another reference is, it is accomplished, like what Jesus said on the cross, right? It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Then it goes on to talk about many things, many other references. I think my prayer for all of us today, myself included, is that that we would really understand the power of his name. And that we would really understand that when we don't know what to do, just saying his name may be the most important thing you can do. Like the chief of police for Dallas, Texas, on the day of 9-11, when a country was really stunned and afraid, And the man that probably had a great deal of access to a lot of big guns said the most powerful thing you can do is pray. I'm calling on the people of Dallas to pray. So whatever your circumstance may be in life or the circumstance of those you love or the situation you may face or the situation you may come out of, oh my goodness, may we speak the name. May we honor his name. 
May we pray. Sometimes people will say, well, I prayed and it looked like nothing happened. And I try not to give the pat answers, but my thought is, oh my goodness, if we hadn't prayed. You know, we don't often see that. We don't quite see that realm. But oh, that we would pray. Oh, that we would know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That he has been with us from our first breath, and he will be with us. He will be with us. What a promise. What an amazing promise. So as, as we sing this last song, I just encourage you, um, we've already prayed for kids for camp and pray for their counselors, you know, for those that have kids on mission trips. You know, yes, we pray for the kids, but man, pray for the parents. It's not an easy week, you know, when, when kids are away. I mean, it sounds like party time, but, you know, your kid's away. You're wanting God to, to really move in their lives. Oh, that we would be, even as the disciples were responsible for their generation, that we would be responsible for reaching this generation that they would understand they can have a relationship with Jesus and walk in his grace. If you would like to come and join the church, we would be happy campers to have you come and do that. If you would like to come and, and pray just about your relationship with Jesus, that is awesome. If you just like to come and pray, that is fine. But oh, how blessed we are to know him and to know the power of the resurrection. Oh, how blessed we are to know the power of the Holy Spirit how blessed we are and it's relationship it's relationship may we may he be our dwelling place in jesus name amen please stand